0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Generational Wealth Summit. And today we have Ms. Christine LaPerrier, and she is the president of Leader in Motion, an organization focused on developing high potential leadership talent with special expertise supporting women in leadership. She authored a number one Amazon best settle title called Too Busy to Be Happy, a guide to using emotional real estate to grow your work life wisdom. And please <laughs> welcome the one and only Christine LaPierre. Yay! Thank you so much. That was an awesome intro. I really love the topic for today. And the topic is the best wealth practices for parents, business, and family. And I know that you are the perfect person for <laughs> this topic. And I am just so excited to have you with us. Looking forward to it. So many entrepreneurs feel like if they ever stop to take a break, they will lose money. Where do you think this belief comes from?
1: There are so many layers to why I think this happens, but... The first one that I think, you know, I call it kind of two-dimensional thinking about time. So we think of time equaling money. And we're kind of taught that from an early age because we take hourly jobs where time equals money. In all fairness, many of us as entrepreneurs immediately think to ourselves, well, if we want to make double or triple what we just made in our hourly job, we're going to have to work double or triple the hours. And we sign up for it because we get into businesses we're passionate about and we love that opportunity to create. So it's a little bit of wiring and DNA mixed with a little bit of what I'll call failed logic on the, the physics of how we create money.
0: Now, what is the tangible result of this way of thinking?
1: Obviously, there can be some great results because we know some entrepreneurs who have created just you know amazing things and changed the world. And so there's obviously some good to it. But On the flip side, I think is a a parent entrepreneur. And even, you know, prior to that, burnout is the, the thing that so many of us face. And, you know, it's interesting when I think about it. My brother is a musician and was always scared to become an entrepreneur musician for fear of falling out of love with something that he was so in love with. Wow. So I think about it and I go, burnout's definitely the number one you know, challenge, but the, the fear of falling out of love with something that drove us to want to be entrepreneurs in the first place.
0: I yeah. think that, that's scary. You're right. It's definitely scary. It, it it really is, and you know what? A lot of times, us as parents, we you know seem to get burned out so easily because you know yeah. we've got a lot of things coming at us at one time. You know, we have a business, and that's our baby as well as our babies. But all of this really burns us out. Why should we take time away from our businesses?
1: I'm going to start by rephrasing that question. I love this question, but as soon as you say to an entrepreneur, should we take time away? You know, you got to think of us. We're a little bit like addicts with (laughs) using our time to create our business. What I actually am a big advocate of, and I talk about this in Too Busy to Be Happy, is this concept of understanding what your emotional real estate is. So it's the energy, the fixed amount of budgeted energy that we all have, to manage everything that's coming us in life. So things with kids, things with unknowns, things with spouses, (laughs) conflict, change, just trying to build healthy habits uses a lot of emotional real estate. Dealing with my three and a half year old son who's decided he's boycotting sleep this week, that uses (laughs) a lot of emotional real estate. And then trying to manage a business and even fear of the unknown uses a lot of emotional real estate. So what I really would say is I pay attention to activities that give back more emotional real estate than they take. And so what I would advocate for is instead of thinking of it as taking time away from the business, I would talk about it as investing time in doing activities that give back more energy than they take. So whether that's, you know, just like I was saying to you, as we started the show, you know, 20 minutes on the treadmill today, just to give myself a chance to catch my breath and get a little bit of movement, that activity gave more energy back than it took. And that's where I feel like it's not about taking time away from my business. It's actually about investing in activities that give me energy back that allow me to use that as a budget against my business.
0: I love that approach. Now, when you work from home, though, as most of us do, you know, some Mm -hmm. of us parents, it can get hard. Now, do you have any tips for that?
1: Well, I will say working from home is, it's a very unique challenge. When I started my business in 2008, a couple of things that I did that really helped. So I had a dedicated office uh, space. Everything work-related stayed in that space even though it wasn't a doored off room, it was kind of my little den, Leverage the power of habit because now we're using our unconscious mind to get things done. So habit's powerful. So I used to wake up every day, make my coffee, walk my dog, have, you know, all that good stuff. And by nine o'clock, I was always in my office and I was always seated at my desk, getting ready to work. And what I found is then, you know, at the end of the day, I would then get up, move away and go somewhere else in the house. And so- I am a big advocate for don't work in your living room, even if it is just a desk, and that desk is your anchor for where you work. Just being very mindful because the brain is a funny thing. So, you know, if you sit down on the same exact desk every day with the intention to work, your brain will start to do that and perpetuate that for you. And so, anything you can do that builds some habit. I found noise-canceling headphones to be an savior. savior, still going back and using the same office space and really teaching the kids to stay away from that desk, kind of teaching them what that meant. Helping your family start to recognize what those routines look like and what those rituals look like so that it makes them easier for them to know what the ground rules are.
0: I love that, you know, uh, that, that you said that you have to create habits because this is mm-hmm. so important for us as parents, entrepreneurs, any, any of us. This right, so important for us. And I uh, remember the saying, repetition is the mother of skills. So if you mm-hmm. continue to just do this routine while you're at home, then eventually, you know, things will become natural. Christine, with your expertise, what would be the number one best wealth practice advice you would give to parents who are entrepreneurs and why?
1: It's an interesting one. The first that I think of is to always have 6 months to a year of salary in your bank account as soon as you can achieve it. I mean I again I understand the difference between a startup and in a long-term business they you know they're two different things. So if you just started your business yesterday, don't be disappointed, it's coming. But to think very consciously, you know, when I began my business, I thought very strategically about paying myself a salary. Fortunately, I was around a lot of other entrepreneurs and I got a chance to learn some of these tips from them. But I paid myself a salary that was a little bit under what I was actually making and just kind of learned to live on that salary. Again, once I got my business off the ground. And what I found is that six months to a year of savings does this incredible thing where you make more clear and conscious decisions around your business. You fire the bad customers. It's almost like if you think of driving a car, it's like, if you're constantly terrified that you're going to run out of gas, like you, you know, you're swerving to the left, you're swerving to the right, you, you know, you're, you're driving like a maniac. But if you know, you have a little something in the tank. You know, there's no need to overreact. And, you know, this, I started my business in 2008. So I think it was very good advice. But once I had a little bit of cash in the bank and I I didn't ever treat that as spending money, that was, you know, that is my salary. That's kind of my extra run rate for my salary. So if I have a bad month or a customer doesn't pay or something happens, I'm going to be fine next week. It's going to be fine. So it allows me to handle those decisions without overreacting or even being you know, emotional in those situations, because I know the sky's not going to fall. And then, you know, a perfect example of this was recreated because when the pandemic hit, I have a business where I'm on site a lot with large companies. And first thing that happens when crisis hits is large companies cut budget for all leadership development and investment in their people. Unfortunately, that a lot of them do. And second thing that happens is when all your work is on site, all of it gets canceled. And so there's nothing for me to build. So it was a classic example of this. I had a year's worth of cash in the bank as part of my business strategy. I've done that for 13 years. You know, I, I kind of just looked at my husband, I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, well, we're good for a year. We got a year to figure this out, you know? And he's <laughs> looking at me going, well, most pandemics last 18 months and I'm going, shh.
0: <laughs> I um, but to do that right
1: now. But that said, I mean, it was just nice to not have that on top of everything else. And it would have been so easy to live the lifestyle that would have used up that whole budget. But the point is, is protect that. You know, I'm always thinking about that. How many months in advance am I I good for when I do my budgeting and my financing?
0: I love that. That is the best advice. Think about the benefits of decision-making
1: when you're not under stress, when you're not scared about feeding your kids next week. Yeah, you make better decisions as a parent. You're when you think you're not going to be able to feed your kids, you act crazy, which is normal, you know, <laughs> in nature. Mother Nature lets us do that, but but it, it makes being a parent you're going to be quick to throw in the towel,
0: you're going to be quick to go work for somebody, you're going to be quick to make stupid decision, you know. You're right. I can really agree to that because you, you know, like you said, when you are at that level of stress, you really don't think properly. And also it's not giving you time to be free to create for your children, for your legacy. It's just really hard on top of that. So it's really and truly like the the best advice that you can give someone uh, is to make sure that, you know, Hey, you are really secure. And that way you can have that peace of mind because us as parents, we long for a peace of mind. What? are some systems or strategies that we can put in place that will help parentpreneurs have a better work life and family life Mm -hmm. balance?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I'm really thoughtful of, and I I really coined the phrase, you know, work-life wisdom. So I always say like, work-life balance is the wrong term because nothing is 50-50 and my days never look 50-50 to be honest. But what I do know, and I would encourage every parent to get really clear on is what their work-life wisdom looks like. So what is like, what is it that you specifically need in your situation, given who you are and what makes you happy, what do you need to make it all work? So for example, for me, I have two very young children And I'm in that particular phase right now. So they're not teenagers. They're not eating at friends' houses or anything. And I want to have dinner with my family every night. So before the pandemic, my rule was I only wanted one night in which I would not eat with my family. And that meant if I was going out of town for a speaking engagement or to teach, I wanted to take the last flight out that night, you know, and I would try to make sure that I was back, you know, within 24 to 48 hours, but I would try to have dinner with my kids four out of five nights a week. And that was just what my work-life wisdom was. So if I was planning any kind of travel, like if I was planning to be somewhere, I'd even plan to be in the conference, I'd ask them to put me up in the afternoon versus the morning, because my work-life wisdom tells me as soon as I miss two meals with my kids in a week, I feel like a disconnected mom. I can live without feeding them breakfast or I can miss more breakfast, but something about that dinner time is really important to me. For me, that's my work-life wisdom. I might go back to work, you know, after the kids go to bed, but I also am really conscious of, I like to have a couple hours a week where George and I watch Netflix together at nine o'clock at night with no kids around, you know, and for us, that's our time to just hang out as friends and just be partners and not have, you know, not have the pressure of our our children around. And so I kind of have a couple of these things that are very important, sacred work-life wisdom activities, and it might not look 50-50. So if I took the hours I dedicate to my business, to the hours of these practices, they're not 50-50, right? Okay. There's probably 20 hours of, you know, real life happening here, oh, yeah. and there's easily 50 hours of business.
0: <laughs> oh, but yeah.
1: But they're so important to me because that's how I get to feel when I, when I look at myself in the mirror, that's how I get to feel like I'm a committed mom, committed partner, and that I'm also, you know, I'm living my best life and I'm living the life that I you know, I'm here for, I'm not chained to my business at the expense of everything.
0: Oh yeah. That is so good. Now, everything that you said, it really resonates with me as well. You know, as a parent and an entrepreneur, you know, I also feel that if you have that balance, you won't get so burned out. What do you do when you can't handle the life you've created and wish you had more time?
1: As you get further into being an entrepreneur, you know, starting to ask who, not how becomes a really important question. So, you know, I have easily six or seven different people who have very specific expertise that I pay to do their magic, you know? And to me, that's what being an entrepreneur should be is like, we get paid to do our magic. It's not a time thing. We're getting getting paid to do the thing that we are particularly talented in, but that's exactly it. So, you know, having people paid to do the things that use up a lot of emotional real estate for me is huge. You know, use the money that you do make to help balance out that energy. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, again, ask who not how, especially as you get a little further in and you've got some, you know, a little bit more financial resources.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I love that you said the who, not the how, because I think a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we always want to do everything for ourselves at first. Now, you are an Amazon best-selling author with Yay. a book called Too Busy to Be Happy. Now, tell us more about this book and why should we get it?
1: Sure. I mean, one thing that I talk about in the book, you'll definitely hear me talk about being an entrepreneur and stress management. So I think that might be one of the biggest reasons right there. But the the thing is, is it's a bit of a cautionary tale of burnout and what that looks like because high performing hard workers, we are at risk for burnout. And my own experience, you know, is just a perfect example of that. In 2007, I went through, you know, kind of a breakup and too many promotions, and all of a sudden I'm managing teams in two different countries, and I'm flying, I'm back and forth, and all this kind of thing, and didn't know how to shut things off, and eventually found myself in a doctor's office, and you know after numerous tests, the doctor says, well you just got to learn to manage your stress better. Oh, and or here's a prescription for Adivan. And then it kind of got worse. And, you know, I really woke up one day kind of staring at the ceiling, wondering if it would be good if I could just get sick so that I could have permission to leave my work. And so I I kind of tell that story because it's something that so easily happens. And, you know, it's interesting. The first time I told that story was 2012. I got asked to teach a class called Mastering Me for Women of Influence. I was so vulnerable telling this story. I, I was like shaking. This is such an embarrassing thing to admit, right? But I had people come up to me at the end of that class and say, I, I'm there and I'm there right now. And I, I really understand that story. And then I started telling it more and more. So I got asked to do more speaking gigs and even like a very large room. I almost always have 10 to 12 people that walk up to me, not just to say thanks for speaking, but who say that has happened to me that exact thing has happened to me. And I thought it was, I thought I was the only person that had ever happened to. Wow. And so my argument number one is this, you know, just learn to manage your stress better. Nobody understands what that actually is. And so I started to put, you know, I went on a mission to really understand how do high performing, really hardcore people learn how to quote unquote, manage our stress better. And I really did get some very useful tools in there about ways to break things down and categorize them. So you can really understand what's happening and it's not just your usual stuff. You know, when, you know, I hate to say this, I love Oprah, I'm a giant Oprah fan, but when I get an Oprah blog and it's like meditate more, go to yoga, you know what I put meditate on my calendar and now I'm missing my meditation and I'm even more stressed. It's just one more failure that I, you know, one more thing that I'm missing that day that I should have gotten done. And so I have found that I had to come up with a completely different way of thinking of stress management and how I get out in front of it. Because just you you know, just saying take time to meditate or take time to yoga or take time to do this, that wasn't enough for me. It didn't work enough. So I needed a larger, broader system to work. And that's really what I work on in the book.
0: I love this. And it right. is so good that we have someone like you, Christine, to make us aware of this and be okay with talking about it. Now, this is a question that I ask anyone that I interview. Now, what does building a wealthy legacy means to you? You know, I, the, I thought about that question and
1: something, something snapped in me a little bit because I, I was kind of going down the path of money and wealth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's one of the things I struggle with a little bit is that I've read over and over again that generational wealth is often lost by the next generation. And so one of the things that I'm actually more passionate about than creating generational wealth I know you asked of wealth legacy, and this is kind of how I think about it is I really want my kids and probably to be honest, one of my passion projects is to do this for more kids than just my own, but I want to teach kids how to fish. Like I want to teach them the mindset that actually builds wealth for them personally. And, you know, I'm, I, I think this is so cool. Like in a previous life, I was you know, with somebody who had a daughter and I was trying to teach her why walking dogs in exchange for money was a really good thing. And she's like, well, I would walk the dogs for free because I love the dogs. And I'm like, that's exactly the type of activity we want you to get paid for. Because that to me is a wealthy legacy, like getting paid for the thing that you like doing to begin with. And so, you know, and also teaching her how You know, she can truly have whatever she wants if she's willing to create, you know, be creative about how she earns wealth to make those things happen. And so, you know, I really had kind of a bit of a rich dad, poor dad uh, experience in my own life where my dad came out of corporate America and he worked, you know, that salary job for 30 years and did all the right things. And that did create a very nice lifestyle. But then as I went into management consulting, I was around a lot of self-made millionaires. And so I watched their mindset and the way they raised their kids and they taught their kids how to start businesses and they taught their kids how to get paid for things that they had passion for. And they taught their kids how to build scale. And I'm like, this is to me, that's going to be my legacy.
0: Absolutely. Oh my goodness. You know what, Christine, you're so on point because this (laughs) is the subject that I really love to talk about you know, as far as leaving a wealthy legacy. And to me, like you said, teaching children how to fish, teaching different strategies on how to build a business, things of that nature. I am so passionate about it because, hey, our children are our future. And if we teach this to them right now, then they'll be able to teach their kids, so on and so forth. That's the biggest meaning of building a wealthy legacy.
1: I'll not be teaching them how to find somebody to work for and just hold on tight and never lose that job for 30 years. Like it won't be that lesson. It'll be sure. Go work for somebody. If you want to work for somebody, but you stay empowered, you do it because it feels good and it's the right use of your time. And if you go work for a terrible boss, you know what? Pack up your stuff and go be so valuable that you can work anywhere else. Exactly. That's the kind of lesson, you know, I want you to be empowered. You're not going to be at the mercy of everything because honestly, I mean, who knows how much wealth I'll leave to my children,
0: but if they know how to fish, they'll be wealthy forever. Be wealthy forever. And that's the key. Oh my goodness. It was such a pleasure. Love the topic. I love it.
1: I think that I like the concept of parents. I like that it's inclusive of both men and women because we're, you know, lots of men are in the same boat as a lot of us women. And I think it's very cool what you're doing.
0: Thank Thank you you so much. It was such an honor to interview you.